Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Everything Economics. I am your host, Talia Murdoch, and today I will be exploring trade and how this can impact income equality in a country using an example from Mexico. This is not an episode about Trump's trade war. Chances are I'll make it there next week though. If you listened to my last episode, you already know a bit about how to measure income equality via the Lorenz Curve. If not, please go ahead and download that episode. It provides a brief overview of income theory. Simply defined, trade involves the transfer of a good or service to another person or entity, mostly in exchange for money. These days, when we talk about trade, we're usually referring to that done on a national or international scale, as opposed to someone just going to a store to buy something. This episode will be covering international trade. So why do humans and economies trade? Well, trade exists because of the specialization and division of labor. By engaging in trade, a country can focus on producing what it is best at and produce a lot of that efficiently, export it to the global market, and then import what it is not so good at producing. Trade allows a country to consume more of a good or service and a wide variety of goods and services. At a basic level, every country will have a fixed amount of labor and capital, people to make stuff, and capital to help people make stuff more easily, like machinery, hardware, software, etc. Without trade, the economy can only produce within the confines of its fixed labour and capital. It has to choose what to produce based on this and this alone. A country may choose to produce more capital-intensive products and push all resources into that industry, or more labour-intensive products, sending all resources toward that industry. Either way, it must find a balance to be as efficient as possible while meeting the demand that exists within the economy. When a country engages in international trade, it completely opens itself up to more goods and services. It can now consume at a rate that is higher than when it is closed off to these new markets. If you imagine you are Canada, the climate is cold, so you can't grow a whole lot of tropical fruits like avocados and mangoes. A demand exists for them that cannot be met within its own production capacity very efficiently or effectively. Now Canada opens up trade with Mexico and all of a sudden a much wider variety of produce is available in the economy and people can consume more than before. Additionally, Mexico now has a whole new market to sell its produce to and can also consume goods and services that are unique to Canada. Each country can focus on what it is most efficient at producing where there is of course a demand, and still consume more by exporting and importing the products. In theory, international trade is an economic triumph and should see every country in the world engage and benefit. In reality, economic theories do not always hold true as humans do not always behave so rationally. When a country opens its economy to the international capitalist market, it is met with both positive and negative outcomes often influenced by how developed the country is. In this episode, I'm going to explore what happened in Mexico when the North American Free Trade Agreement, known more commonly as NAFTA, was implemented. In the last two decades of the 20th century, as the world began to globalize, with international trade becoming more and more prevalent, world income rose by 25% as a result of the successes of free trade. In contrast, global poverty increased by 100 million people, representing the negative impacts that free trade can have on less developed countries. 
It had always been assumed by governments that a rise in income and GDP always meant an increase in human development, but the statistics do not really tell the same story. Noticing this, in 1990, the United Nations Development Program came up with a new way of measuring development known as the Human Development Index. This was driven by the fact that the basic objective of development is to create an enabling environment for people to enjoy long, healthy, creative lives. The end of development must be for human well-being. It should be such that international trade standards support this goal and that the benefits of global trade should be distributed across the countries involved. I'm not going to say that they should be distributed completely equally. I don't think that complete equality provides incentives for innovation and efficiency, but I do think that taxes or whatever policy you like should ensure that no one has to live in poverty and has equal opportunity in life. The lack of international trade laws that promote this has seen that less developed countries are taken advantage of by developed countries who strive to increase profits via cost reduction through free trade. Throughout the 1990s, as NAFTA was implemented, Mexico, the least developed country of the three countries involved, this was an agreement between themselves, the United States and Canada, was impacted very differently. Mexican economy suffered after the agreement came into effect and still suffers to this day while the US experiences remarkable economic growth. Now, I promise you this is not a joke. In 2007, Mexico suffered a tortilla crisis, which was a direct impact of the implementation of NAFTA. This clearly demonstrates the inequalities that existed between the two nations due to the lack of international rules for trade that specifically allow monopolistic behavior to occur. Now quickly, you probably know this, but a monopoly is when one company or institution has the exclusive possession or control of the supply or trade in a commodity or service. They own it all. They have the stranglehold over the market. There might be a few smaller competitors, but the idea is one person basically sets the supply and price of everything. In the early 90s, the Mexican government undertook strong structural reforms to open the economy to the global market. This included privatization, which is the selling of government-owned industry or infrastructure, and deregulation, meaning removing legal red tape from industries to make them operate more easily and effectively. Now, neither of these forms are a bad thing. In fact, it is wise for a government to privatize industries as often the private sector can run it more efficiently. It just has to be done with robust legislation that ensures it is efficient for the consumers of the industry as well, and not just the shareholders of the company. You don't want quality to suffer during privatization. In 1994, the NAFTA was implemented, eliminating all non-tariff trade barriers. In a nutshell, and you probably already know this from all of the political attention it's getting lately, a tariff is just a tax on imported goods or services imposed to protect local industry. Most economists are not a fan of these, and I will go into that in the next episode. Now, after this agreement came into play, GDP in Mexico began to rise. Hooray, free trade, the economy is growing. But the agricultural sector in particular suffered to the point where it became harder and harder for the average Mexican to feed their family. This was because the demand for corn in this year increased massively as the United States started to adopt agrofuels, where the most common ingredient is corn ethanol. As we know, higher demand leads to higher prices 
And this is exactly what happened. Now, Cargill and ADM were the two major companies involved in this market at the time, and they began to behave in monopolistic ways. Today, Cargill remains one of the most highly valued companies in the world, frequently appearing in the top 15 of the Forbes Fortune 500 list. They are the world's largest supplier of food commodities and made a profit of well over 2.8 billion US dollars in 2017. So back in Mexico in the 90s, Cargill and ADM acquired or merged with Mexican corn production companies, which restricted the ability of Mexicans to use their own land for agricultural purposes as the corn being grown was now being grown by US companies and exported to the US for fuel instead of feeding its own people. Also, the supply of corn became restricted by the two companies so they could control the price, leading to a rise in price 50% higher than the pre-NAFTA price. So price is going up because demand is high and supply is being controlled by more or less a monopoly in the international market or the market in this agreement. The companies continued this behavior using more price and supply controls to drive the traditional corn meal out of the market as well. So by implementing more industrial focused and large scale agricultural practices to create fuels, industrialized tortillas were now being sold at half the traditional price, which is great for international consumers or American consumers, but meant that Mexican producers lost a lot of their income and also their product. So the tortillas were being sold at a cheaper price meaning the Mexican producers could not compete. They couldn't necessarily get jobs with the American companies either because they were industrialized, so they didn't require as much labor anymore, so they had less income, and the tortillas were being sold in America, so it's not like they had all of this cheap food available to them. This was leaving the country. It wasn't going to them, it was going elsewhere. Before the trade agreement, the Mexican government made sure that corn was distributed throughout the, the country as well, but after being crowded out of the market, Mexican households were forced to cut their tortilla consumption by half. It now cost four times as much for them to feed their family the same amount of food than before this agreement came into place. The burdens were placed on the rural and urban poor, while the companies at the helm flourished. A food shortage was now prevalent across the country. So because of opening to international trade, GDP per capita in Mexico did still rise, but those in non-exporting countries, so those traditional mill workers, for example, received 37% less income on average than those who work for exporting countries. Unemployment was also very volatile for the first 15 years after NAFTA was implemented. Even though exports to the US rose by 437% during this time. The benefits were isolated. So, should the world abandon international trade and just operate within their own economy? Protect themselves? No, of course not. International trade has so many benefits. It just needs to be regulated properly. The problem is, countries have different legal systems, different governments, different goals, different needs, so making trade agreements is complex. International trade does on the whole lead to rises in GDP and gross national income. It's just most often enjoyed by a small portion of the countries involved or exclusively by the more developed country. 
As with so many capitalist markets, the poor suffer the most when these borders are essentially opened. So that is just one example of what happened in Mexico. It's kind of sad if you think about it, just because Americans wanted to produce fuel using food. People couldn't feed their family anymore. And there was no protection involved to support these people or stop that from happening. It's one of those examples where I think capitalism has really failed. So next week, I'm going to look more closely at Trump's trade war and what is going on with NAFTA today. Why does he think the NAFTA is so unfair to Americans when we've just seen what happened to Mexico when it was implemented? What has happened in Mexico up until now? We know from last week's episode that they currently have the highest Gini coefficient, a measure of income distribution, of all the OECD countries. So something is still off in the country. Is it to do with international trade? This episode was more about the history of the agreement to show how opening to trade can actually be really bad for your country if policy and regulation is weak, enabling underdeveloped countries and people to be exploited. So thank you so much for listening. Please download and rate and review on iTunes. It really helps out the episode. You can follow the show on Twitter at Every Economics or check out what else the network is doing across all social media platforms at Cave Goblins. Tomorrow's episode of Comedy Zeitgeist, another show on the Cave Goblin network, is going to be a real kicker where Doug spoke to the Mario and Luigi of the Vancouver comedy scene, Malcolm McLeod and Maddie Vu. In other news, we have a new show on the network, Streamlabs Live, another Doug Vandalay project where streamers chat about gaming and the industry, if that is your thing. I will definitely be doing an episode on that sometime in the future because it is huge and so interesting. So thank you again for listening. Join me next week for another episode about trade and more specifically NAFTA this past few years. I am your host, Talia Murdoch, and this has been Everything Economics.